This show is brought to you by Cakes and Tins, where you can send the people you adore delightful and delicious gifts that give back. Go to cakesintins.com and use the code ACTINGREAL for 10% off. This show is also brought to you by LA Bookmaker, a deluxe stationery shop and custom bookbinder, offering handmade foil stamped cards, high quality calendars, and other ephemeral gifts. Go to la-bookmaker.com. Our clarity story today comes from Albert Vaca. Every day at lunch, I'd walk a block down to the beach and meditate, do Tai Chi, or consciously breathe for a half an hour. Then I'd head back to work. It was usually the highlight of my day. Working retail had its ups and downs, but one day I'd had enough. I was folding fleece sweaters and putting them in size order for the 10th time that day. This was the moment things changed. I thought to myself, there has to be more to life than this. And then I want to be doing something that can use my other talents. Two days later, I came across an ad for an acupuncture clinic nearby. My Thai tea teacher had often commented on an acupuncture and opening meridians with our practice. I called, made an appointment for a tour of the clinic, and within two weeks found myself in a classroom pursuing a master's degree in Chinese medicine. It has been almost 20 years since that day, and I am so grateful that I made the switch. I get to educate people on health, help their bodies fight disease and get stronger, and I'm surrounded by like-minded people that wish to work on themselves, patients, and colleagues alike. Well, thank you so much for sending that clarity story, Albert, and um, thankfully, you had that moment in the retail store. I love it so much. Thanks. If you have a story about a time that changed your life, it can be very mundane. You were hanging out by yourself and you had a thought, or it can be crazy, crazy. You uh, were drinking plant medicine and you had a vision. Um, Whatever the story is, if you want to share it, I want to hear it. I really, really, really do want to hear from you. Please email me at claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. That's claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. Guys, today my guest is Jason Manzukis, um, whom who whom I've been wanting to have on the show for uh, so long since the beginning, since the beginning, but then especially since my episode with Michaela Watkins, wherein she talked about a show, an improv show that she and Jason did. Um, it was an hour of them on stage alone in the same scene, just like, you know, basically writing a play right there on the spot, living in the moment, um, all this stuff that, you know, we do in life or we aspire to do in life. You know, we want to be in the moment. We want to listen. We want to relax. We want to feel things. We want to be authentic. Uh, and so here we are, Jason and I talking about improv. Um, it's such a dynamic and, uh, entertaining episode. I usually steer my guests away from talking too much about acting, frankly. Um, but Jason and I really talk a lot about improv and I, um, and I, I just think it's such a cool app. So for those of you who, um, are actors and improvisers, I think you'll really geek out here. Uh, and for those of you who are not, I think you'll really dig getting kind of, uh, like behind the scenes, uh, listen at some of the ins and outs and some of the technical stuff and 
some craft stuff. Um, and as always, you know, all of these skills that we talk about in this episode as they apply to improvisation, in this case, apply to life. Um, we talk all about yes anding. Uh, we talk about touching the void. That's a whole other conversation. What does that mean? Well, you'll have to listen. <laughs> I really, I just, I, I listened, I re-listened to this episode last night and I can't tell you how, how, uh, how fun it was. So I hope you enjoy, uh, if you don't know Jason Manzukis, he is an actor, comedian, writer, and podcaster. He is best known for his recurring role as Rafi in the FX comedy series, The League. And as one of three co-hosts of the podcast, How Did This Get Made? alongside Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael. Manzukis has also appeared in the films The Dictator, Sleeping with Other People, They Came Together, Conception, and John Wick Chapter 3. He has had recurring roles on Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and The Good Place, and so, 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 so many more. He also voices characters in the Netflix animated series Big Mouth, the HBO series Close Enough, and again, so, so, so many others, uh, many other series and films. And he's a revered regular on the improv comedy scene, that last line about being a revered regular. <laughs> I added that. I added that. The other stuff was from the internet. Um, listen, I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. You have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I have drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. You must use it like an And it's very easy. It's just like a thing that plugs the mic in and then it plugs to your USB cable. It's I do need that. I don't it have It couldn't be easier. All right. Well, I'll, um, I'll research it. Yeah. So I mean, for me, so I'm on a podcast that is normally we record in studios or we record live in theaters. Right. Um, but so when we, when all this started happening, they sent me the, we're part of Earwolf, the network. Uh -huh. So they just sent me a duplicate of our studio amazing. setup. And oh, I amazing. just set it up here. Amazing, so, amazing. Yeah. Um, and this is how, how did this get made? Like what, like pilot TV shows? No, okay. it's like a bad movies um, bad podcast. Movies. It's okay. like, you know, we did, we just recently did Cats or we'll do, <laughs> we'll do, we did like the, we've been going, we, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. So oh we did God. like, we did The Room when it was like a thing. We did, you know, we'll do Greenland, like big, big movies like Green Lantern or Lake Placid or stuff like that. And then all the way down to like really be weird movies. You're so cool. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, I need to really listen fun. to it's your podcast. Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael are the hosts. I, I really, I love those people. And actually, June and I went to college together. We were at NYU together. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's I great. Know. She was a year younger than than I. Mm -hmm. um, oh, nice. Wait, I when were she you, still is a year younger than When I. were you in New York? Um, I graduated from NYU in 2000. And I believe okay. that she and Casey were in the class of yeah. one, like right underneath me. And then did you come straight here or did you stay I there? did not. No, I stayed in New York. I was in New York. Um, I was in New York until 2006. Oh, nice. 
um, when I came to LA to audition for my for my, my first pilot season in Los Angeles, then yielded a pilot, which was the reason that I moved. Ooh, wow. First pilot season books a pilot. <laughs> I mean, that is the rare story. That is like, <laughs> that's like the, wow, that's impressive. I don't know. I don't know about that. But um, well, yeah, I suppose it was impressive back in the, in the moment, you know, and it was also like the worst experience of my whole fucking life. <laughs> Not the pilot itself. The show then itself or the, the- series yeah the series ended up being like a horrific sort of traumatizing experience oh that's awful yeah yeah Uh, it it was it was but also also like that era is like the end of when a tv pilot was um and series uh, was like the macro goal of everything like you like yeah it was a transformation you waited all year for pilot season yeah because and you put all your efforts into it because it truly was transformative if it happened and yeah. you just for me it just never happened and it was <laughs> a brutal reminder that this is difficult you know but that's so crazy because now you're on like every show ever written oh yeah but that would that's like you know 12 m- more than 12 years later you know but that's not uh, even that long. I mean, that's not even that long. Like, what was your first pilot season? Twelve years ago. Two thousand and three. Okay, so that's okay. So that's seventeen years ago. Yeah. Eighteen years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. St- and I never book a pilot. Never book a pilot. Never book a series. But I start getting used as a guest star in two thousand and ten. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And now you've risen to the heights of fame. Mm. (laughs) I'm like joking I'm like joking but also like it's a dick joke because actually you are very famous (laughs) and you're very successful but also like (laughs) what is that more more like what I always wonder is like what is that you know what I mean like what is fame I was just talking to my fucking life coach about (laughs) to get really personal oh my god I was just talking about like fame, like what is fame? Like you look at some people's careers, you know, they were like at the tip, top, tip, 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 top, mega, mega fame, going to all the most famous, most big parties, working with all the coolest, most iconic people. And then like, are they still famous? You know, would you recognize them? Like, what is fame? I mean, I actually, now that we're talking about it, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Although I do have a very clear uh, uh, agenda for this podcast and I, okay. and I know that we have a time thing. So I, I want to get to all that stuff. But while we're here, I think this is a really relevant um, question for everyone. I don't know. The point of this podcast, and you may or may not know this, is really that like, I, I think you know, actors live a, a life that's, it, we're, we're very close to fire a lot. Like we suffer from a lot of rejection and uncertainty and, and also like, that's, that's like a part of our craft that we actually actively like try to hone um, is dealing with these sort of upsets um, and uncertainties. And so I just think it's interesting to talk to actors about stuff like, fame because like in the world a lot of people are interested in fame and what it's like to be famous and it feels like something that's important and kind of enigmatic or something that you really want or something that you want to shun or something that's you want to pretend isn't important or that you know you you generally think is important and like why wouldn't it be important so I'm just I'm I'm curious about your perspective on that yeah you know it's interesting I think that um I think that fame and uh, success 
are two different things. And even the way you were just talking about it kind of illustrated how I feel about it in that you described fame as they get to go to all the parties and everybody knows who they are and, and blah, blah, blah. And then you also said, and they get to work with whoever they want and da, 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 da. Okay. And so for me, that's the demarcation line. Um, fame is something I'm personally uh, not, I think everybody who enters this business is approaching it for themselves and to solve something in themselves, right? Um, and for some people, what they're looking for is fame. And what fame is, is recognition. It's being invited to the, all the cool parties. It's, it's the, all the trappings of show business or the whatever you want to call it, all the, all the noise that is part and parcel with what we do as work. Now, for me, I don't really much care about that stuff. I don't much, I never much went in for parties. I don't care. I don't need somebody sending me free clothes or, or nonsense. Like that's nonsense. But, but the, the part of it that I am solicitous of is work and success. I'm very engaged by and pursuing. I'm, I'm very ambitious, but my ambition is towards the work. I'm here to do the job and the job is the thing that I entered doing. Like I came to this career, not to become an actor, but because I wanted to be a comedian because I wanted to be on stage making people laugh. That was the thing that really, um, I think for me lit a fire um, that once that was, once I understood and saw the framework of success from the stage, from my concept of operating as an improviser and a sketch comedian on stage, and that that could yield in success, being a TV or a film actor, a TV or a film writer, director, any of those producer, any of those career paths are open to you in success built off of the stage. The rest of it, being in named onto some list or being, you know, you know, um, award recognition, all of that stuff. That's the fame stuff. That's like noise. And to me, that's the distraction. That's like, it's, it's part of why I'm not on social media. It's part of what's not interesting to me is the noise. Now, listen, I, I'll go to parties. I'll go to whatever. I'm not like immune to the the social elements of what this job, uh, the blurring of the social and work in this industry is pretty uh, bananas, you yeah. know? Um, so Do, here's my question know, though. Like, does, lost it, on me, but does, it, does it trigger you though? Like even though you're, you're a pre pretty cool customer with like the parties and not caring about that or the social media or whatever. Like, do you get triggered? Like, do you, is there a moment ever where you go like, Oh fuck, maybe I should get on Instagram. Cause like so-and-so no. has been, and now Never. they have, so, or, or like, Oh Never. man, I didn't get invited to that cool party. Nope. Don't no. care. That's don't. amazing. I'm never, I'm not, I'm never, uh, that's not my thing. Um, I don't. And so I what's never... your, what's your thing? Like what, like what, and what, and so why do you think you have that sense of security that like you really, like that you really truly you know, can take it or leave it that, that non-attachment to hear your, uh, because we, we, you know, I'm assuming, I don't know if you're going to edit this and put it into a different order or if this will it. be the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, probably. Will so be. we don't know each other well, right. Yeah. We are not 
friends. We know each other socially, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I don't know your, you just told me you went to NYU. I don't know your journey or your thing, but I would say that one of the things that has been a real was and and continues to be, although now in a different way, a real um, uh, grounding element for me is having the theater community that I came up in around the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Mm -hmm. So I started taking those classes and performing at that theater in like 1998. Um, and so there was an element that um, we were all, there was a real clubhouse element. We were all in it together. We were doing each other's shows. We were helping each other do shows. I think that that what you're talking about, that kind of getting triggered or being like, oh, they have what I want or this and that. There was a real element in that scene that there's room for everybody, right? Like there's there's shows every night. Just come up with a show, pitch a show. Now, it's very different now. You know, like at the time I came up, it was a small community and you could get stage time. Now it's an enormous community and it's very hard to get stage time. So I recognize that what I'm saying is doesn't exist anymore, but I do believe that the scene, the improv and sketch scene, UCB and beyond, the theaters that have come subsequently, you know, uh, Magnet and, um, you know, theaters out here, the clubhouse in LA, these are all places that are allowing for not just community, to do work, not just the community to be doing work and, and performing and, and, and working with each other, but to support each other and to, 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 to kind of have a base of operations that feels shared mm -hmm. so that, you know, it's not like, oh, they got what I want. It's a lot more about like <clears throat> helping each other. Like a lot, of, I'll say this, a lot of my first jobs were given to me by my peers who had success. Mm -hmm. You know, the first yeah. script I sold was because a friend of mine was a more successful screenwriter and he then put my name in. Yeah. In the mix on stuff. You know, I, I really understand what you're saying. And and I think like community and and that the kind of support you're describing is a huge part of um the ground the groundedness that you have. I mean, I don't want to label you, but you seem fairly grounded in in this area um i also think and this is really what i'm here to talk to you specifically about i also think that the work that happens on the stage at ucb um is the kind of work that you can't really do if you're thinking about the parties you're getting invited to or who's friends with who or who's more successful than who who else like that actually like that maybe what's so strong about that community is that you're united in us in you're united by um essentially like um by by the common pursuit of being <laughs> in the moment i mean you're you know what wrong. i mean like you're not wrong i mean like i think that i think that that concept improvising being on stage um forcing yourself to do long form shows and be in the moment uh, that skill set listening reacting agreeing all of those tools are so instrumental in acting but they are also like incredibly significant in life Exactly. You know, um, the, you you cannot be on stage in front of an audience with no script, no understanding, about to do a one-hour show, and be like, 
why wasn't I on the <laughs> Hollywood Reporter list of best comedians? Right, you know? right. Who fucking cares? There's a sold out crowd here. I'm about to do the thing that I do well. This is all. This is what I. This is what I care about. Yeah, this and is why if, I'm here. If you're I'm thinking about. If you're thinking about anything other than like what is literally right in front of you, like your immediate sensory experience, you're you're much worse off than if if you're just right where you are, right? I mean, like, I mean, like the um, I, well, what I nearly said is if you're thinking about anything other than your immediate sensory experience, you're sunk. But that's of course not true. I mean, part of the craft of improvising, which I know much less about, although I've dabbled very lightly sure. in it. Um, I know much more about acting, which I've been mm -hmm. doing for a long time. But like um, part of part of the craft of it is that sometimes you do get a fleeting thought that you don't really, that doesn't really have to do with the immediate sensory moment. And like, you got to know how to navigate that thought that comes up and how to, how to represent yourself in what you're yes. doing. Yes. I'm going to agree with you, but with a caveat in that, in my opinion, if I'm on stage with you and I see you have some thought, actually, my move is to engage that thought. Right, to integrate it. But that's, to, that's to, the move. That's like, that is actually being in the moment. To be in the moment is to be like, wait, I feel like I just lost you for a second. In I agree. the same way that that's if right. you and I were at dinner and I saw you look off and then kind of get wistful, I'd be like, did you just see someone? Did something just happen? That's exactly like, right. But that's what but I mean. For is me that like, to pretend, yeah. if you and I were on stage and you had a visible something that I ignored, that's right. telling the audience we're not on the same page at that's all. Right. I'm, I'm letting that go because I'm trying to do this scene where I'm teaching you how to drive, you know? <laughs> and that's more important. And the reality is, fuck teaching you how to drive. You yeah. just, if, if I say to you then in that moment, is something upsetting you? And you're like, yeah, I didn't get invited to this party I wanted to get invited to. We're yeah. going to have a better scene. That's right, right. That's when you're when you're really sunk is when you're trying to deny that you're yes. having a thought Correct. or a feeling. Okay, and which is also obviously in life, we're really fucking sunk when we want to deny the thoughts and the feelings that we have, when we want to shadow them, when we want to bury them, when we want to be shame ourselves for them, when we don't don't want to see them or feel them. Like sure. in life, we're it's it's not it's it's a much harder road to 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 go down if we're not going to feel our feelings and think our thoughts. Okay, but so here's why we're here. This is it. This okay. is led so wow, quite what a prelude. Here's why we're here. We're here because so I had Michaela Watkins on the show. Yeah, um, one of the greats. One of the greats. Um, and she told a story about how she was on your show at UCB. She she was doing your show, and you do a two two person long form improv show. Is this right? I do. Yeah, I do. I, I do it once a month at UCB and it's myself and a guest. Okay. And we improvise one scene for an hour. Right. So okay. It's like improvising a one act play or something. So there's, you know, as opposed to like other improv forms where other people come in and out or you can play multiple characters or you can jump forward and back in time and you can have all these all these kind of elements and tools to help you facilitate a show, uh, performing a show. I built a show that was what I perceive to be uh, a show where you have no outs. Right. Like you, there is no help. You have to just keep doing the show. It's a, it's a real time 
one hour, sometimes more. I think Michaela and I did one that was like an hour and 20 minutes once. That was yeah. just one scene, real time. So, okay. So, so I mean, for those of you who are listening, who may be non-actors, like I, I can only hope that you can imagine how <laughs> how intense um, that must be and, and how much training and, and experience it takes to be on a stage for an hour with a full audience without knowing anything about what you're about to say or do or what the fuck's about to happen. I mean, this is, this is, this really requires some very uh, skills that are very, very honed um, and craft that is very honed. You know, I, I, I agree, but I also think, I bet I could get you on that stage and we would do a great show. Oh, I think, but, but I, you know what I mean? Like I've done it with people who don't have my level of improv training and they've crushed. Well, I think here's the thing for sure. Just like doing it with like, for sure. Look, whenever you're working with a master, so I'm just going to take the liberty of calling you a master, right? (laughs) You've had like your 10,000 hours or like whatever it is, but like whenever you're like, you would elevate my performance for sure. And, and also it just so happens that I've had 10,000 hours of experience just standing on a stage. So that alone like is, you know, would be useful. Um, It's, it's, it's an enormous, an enormous amount of success at improv is simply being comfortable on stage, not knowing what you're going to do. Yeah, right. You know, really being able to sit on stage and be absolutely confident and comfortable that I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be good. Because the audience at an improv show, whether they know it or not, are nervous. Yeah. They're nervous because they know you don't, they know you've not prepared anything. Mm -hmm. Like if you go and see a stand-up and they start doing jokes you don't think are good, you're like, this is what you wrote? This right. is bad. I don't like this. Or if you, you go and see a stand-up and they've written stuff, you're like, this is so funny. What, what a beautifully honed set or whatever. But when you go and see improv, people are nervous because they're like, there's nothing worse than a bad improv show. And yeah. if that's what I'm about to watch, we're fucked. fucked. And <laughs> so an enormous amount of success is truly owning the stage and putting the audience at ease and saying, hey, you can relax and laugh because we got this. Yeah. And so once okay, you so- relax, they relax. And then the whole show, because there's an energy that goes, when we're on stage, there's an energy that goes back and forth between us that is the scene, right? And that, if we're if we rehearsed a, a scene, uh, a written scene, if we're doing a play, we are dialed, encouraged to be dialed into each other and the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, in an improv show, that dynamic that's go that like tether that ethereal tether that connects us to each other on stage there's another that goes between us to the audience because there's a second relationship that happens in an improv show because they know we're making it up so not only are we making it up but they are having their own experience of watching us make it up so there's another scene going on that is our it's a it's a two-person scene between our scene and the audience as yeah. groups. Yeah, and you the know? fact that you being aware of that, being aware of that is also like a third scene. Like within oh, yes. you, your your awareness is toggling back and forth between. Yes, I am. On, yes, yeah. I am frequently participating in all of the scenes. That's so right. So I will within a scene with your Michaela. Like if I'm on stage with Michaela, I will say things in the scene that don't really make sense for what Michaela and I are doing, but make total sense 
for me in the audience sure, or for, yeah. for us in the audience. Yeah. Like I will make, I'm not breaking, but I am, I'm participating in the other scene that's currently happening. Well, by the way, which is why dramatic irony is always so enjoyable for an audience. Or, um, just that's like sort of the most technical level of it. Yeah. But Especially then, when you're like on a stage and have no props and no wardrobe and no nothing. So the artifice is just there. So, you know, object work, answering a phone, driving a car, all of it is preposterous. So... <laughs> You know, and the audience knows that, but they're willing to suspend that disbelief because they're enjoying the scene you're doing. But at a certain point, you can let the steering wheel just let it go and watch it fly away. Right, you right, know? right. And it's like you can introduce bits of absurdity that are fun for the audience that don't inherently break the scene. So when you're in that state of being, though, where you're able to fully uh, be a participant in both of those scenes that you're talking about, plus a yeah. third scene, let's call it, which is the scene that allows you to 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 toggle back and forth between and or simultaneously inhabit both scenes mm -hmm. like so essentially you're in three places right like you're in you're 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 the actor you're the acted and you're the acting itself maybe maybe I, yes not yes. to get overly intellectual no no i know what you're I, I i see where you're going or not where you're going but i see what you're saying i think all i just think I think I think all of those things are the same thing. Yeah, they are. Well, they're all consciousness. You know? I mean, it's all just consciousness. Yeah, right? like we're I think it's just it's really being awake in the scene. Yes, and it's and just like we want to be awake, we we want to be awake in life, like we're awake in the scene. I mean, that's like literally oh, like I say this to my therapist all the time. Yeah, I wish I was as good moment to moment improviser. I wish I could exhibit the skills that I am very good at exhibiting on stage in my life. And you what know? stops I you wish in I was, life? I wish I was able to be um, as decisive as, 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 I wish I was able to move with greater risk, you know, but because on stage, great, you can take great risks. You can take great moves. If you feel like we're in a scene together, you can make a big swing and, and hope that that person supports you and something incredible can happen from it. But in real life, I'm very risk averse, you know, mm -hmm. because I, I don't know what this could happen or this bad thing could happen or this bad thing could happen. That's and incredible so I, though. That is incredible to me that you're, that you, that you are literally like could not be in a sort of risk, like emotionally riskier form of performing. And that in life you consider yourself risk averse. Like what, why, oh, yeah. what, what is so difficult about translating the skills that you have on stage to, um, to life? It's such a good question, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting. I wonder a lot if what is, what attracted me so much to improvising was that it allowed me to exercise and exorcise a part of me that I was otherwise and continue in some ways to otherwise deny. Mm. which is being uh, riskier, being bolder, being making bigger choices, you know, making uh, making moves that feel like, you know, in improv, you know, there's a term like um, you're not just when you start getting good at things, you know, you, you don't just make the connection A to B, you skip over B and go A to C. Mm -hmm. So my next move is, in fact, to skip the obvious move and go to the C. Can you, sorry, could you just give a very, because like I know this because I've heard that in a class, you know, but like, could you give a very, could you just give a, a, an example of what that means? Because that's sort of. Yeah, I'm trying, let me think of a, like, I'm trying to think of a good, like, simple way to explain what I mean by A to C. So essentially, if. 
um, if, if if we start and our scene is we're on a first date, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we we're ch- chatting and we're strangers and it's going pretty well. And um, and it seems like the the the, the move is um, theoretically the next move would be to try and kiss. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we've had a, fl- a good flirt and now we're going to kiss. If instead I dropped down on one knee and proposed. Right. If I right, skipped right. the kiss entirely and went to a very, a much greater uh, uh, gesture of import and was like, I don't even need to know anymore. I'm ready to <laughs> lock this down. Which you know, that like, would be surprising. Yeah. Yeah, you would yeah. be like, I did not foresee that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I mean. And that's right. something that I don't do in life. In life, I'm very measured. I'm like, I very organically, I'm like, what is the next nearest goal? Let me try and achieve only that. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to jump levels. But in life, that would actually be fucking insane. People do it. I mean, people do it, but I don't know that that's like, you want to aspire to do that. You know? No, 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 no. I see what you're saying. Yes, no. But people, people are... I think there is a I think there is something that is healthy about acting w- not riskier especially during this time of covid people's risk averseness is so evident in what they're willing to participate in and what they want what they think is safe and what they don't mm-hmm. um and like so for me I haven't left the house or really had any physical contact with another human being in 10 months. So that's my level of risk averse is I am so anxious and afraid of the virus that I know the safest thing to do is not not physically be around or touch anybody. So I don't. But that's like a pretty good, again, like that's like a pretty adaptive behavior right now. Like, I mean, I'm more. Oh, yes, but I'm losing my mind. Like, okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. Like if I were your therapist, I might say. Like, I haven't had a hug in 10 months. Yeah. Like you, like, you could like, go like good. someone's backyard and hang out, you know, 20 feet apart. Maybe that would be, you know, if I were your therapist, I might say that. I get it. But what more what I'm interested in is like in your life, like, um, like, like what, whatever neuroticism you might have around particular areas, probably more strongly than other areas or whatever, how could you learn to or practice applying what you know when you're sitting on an improv stage in your yeah, life? I mean, really, I think it's a matter of, you know, when faced with decisions, whatever they may be, large or small, take, you know, I, I try and force myself to take as much action as I can, you mm-hmm. know, and not which my my normal tendency would be to wait, be patient, wait, Mm -hmm. you know, look, get more information, collect more information, talk to more people, you know, make the most informed decision I possibly could, rather than get 60% of information and then be like, this is fine, and then take a leap of faith. I'm yeah. terrible at taking leaps of but, faith. But I but when you describe those two options as if those are the like only choices you have, I definitely think the former is a much better way to go. <laughs> I mean, you're describing point? yourself as very healthy is what I'm saying. I don't well, I mean, if I am, I, it's I, I'm not doing a good job because I think that I am I think that I do um I do hold myself back 
and have held myself back from things for fear of not understanding them completely. Got it. You know what I mean? Like uh, there, there's a point, there's a point in time when you can, when you should be able to pull the trigger and be like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to engage in whatever, whatever mm-hmm. decision you from buying a product. You know, do, should I research more to make sure I'm getting the right thing, or mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, uh, entering a relationship, taking mm-hmm. a job, working with somebody, or whatever the thing is? Do I need to call more people and say, like, did you like working with this, or uh, do I need to th- talk to more sure. people and be like, should I sign on to X, Y, or Z? Like, yeah. at a certain so- point, leaps of faith help you move forward, even if they are mistakes. Sure, Even sure. if your first pilot turns into an absolute disaster. Right. You know, if even if that incredible, so rare first pilot season success that should only be thought of as this incredible victory is then like suffused with this miserable, awful actual experience. <laughs> like both of those things are true. You should still have done that show. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Because holy cow, that's like a game changer. Well, also, by the way, like had I had in the presence of my, had I known then what I know now, then it wouldn't have been a misery. Like, But the only like, reason you know what you know now that's is right. partially because of that show. That's exactly right. So that, so that leads me into the next little bit. Well, actually, before I go to this, because we oh, still Oh, and I interrupted a, your Michaela story, So Well, right. Well, no, but no, but this is all very important. And I think like the, the Michaela story is, is like where we're headed because it really and, and we're, we're going there but but before I get to that moment what I'm curious about is do you have any sense then um from the way that you just uh like um from the way you talked about my pilot experience my pilot slash moving into series experience like do you have any sense of d- like destiny or faith or you know like no. where do you sit with that you think all that you're like cold hard dead dead dirt atheist die I ground yeah. I, I am i may um i may not i'm not like a you would dead science i am a science person i yeah. am a all the stuff i believe every and i and i was a religion major in college i'm i'm like very open to an understanding of people's desire and in fact need to search and search for meaning and find meaning and and that those traditions many of those traditions um provide great uh great services great 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 community great stuff for lots of people i'm not i i don't i'm not i don't have that frequency no, but I guess what I'm curious is like, like when you like, so the way that I would tell the story is like, okay, so I didn't take that opportunity, which was a big opportunity in, to instead go to LA for pilot season. It was actually like one of the best pilot season itself was one of the best experiences I've ever had. I had a life changing experience, changed my life. But then the series that I actually did was horrific. But now 10 minutes later, 10 years later, I'm like much the better for it because I learned all those lessons. And so what I would say is that it was all meant to be like it happened for a reason would you let me ask you this because that's interesting yeah the concept of meant to be suggests to me predestination which takes your success completely out of your hands and to me your successes your failures whatever your life if it's meant to be 
then you have no agency. Well, I actually, I see it as slightly more nuanced in okay. two ways. One is that- Because all of that success to me is yours. Yeah, but- You did, you did that. Yes, you built the framework. You opportunities did all the time, right? People miss, I believe that even if there are opportunities that are available to you, you may not take them, right? Sure. So, so maybe- so mean, I'm sorry, what do you mean by opportunities? Do you mean just, are we talking just about work or like just the opportunities- in life, like okay, so here, so let me just so let me discuss it in these terms. Okay, so I, I think that, so I think that okay, so the, so I that the, be I went to LA for pilot season because actually I had gotten a big pilot in New York the year before that, and okay. my agents were really hot on me moving to LA for pilot season. I got an offer to be in a play at the Actors Theater of Louisville to play a lead role in, in a play, the okay. very famous play, right? And I said no to that to go to LA. Okay. Mm -hmm. The girl who did play that part then went to that to do that show on Broadway and now has a huge career. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so, and so, but what I, I went to LA and I had a life changing experience one that is like my seminal life-changing experience it changed my life forever I'll talk about it at some point on a podcast suffice it to say that I, the, the this story was so impactful that the only words I could could use to convey how impactful this experience was is to call it the time I saw God Okay. Like okay. I saw God in LA in pilot season. Okay. Before this, by the way, I, I never I believed. Mean, I don't believe in that at all. I know. I, if well, there's I, a God anywhere, he certainly, or she is not in LA. Not in LA in pilot season. <laughs> by the way, by this the way. This is in, a godless place. By the way, in the animation building at the ABC Disney lot. Okay. So yeah. like, it's, it's a very silly story. And yet I maintain that it was I mean, I had, I, you know, I touched enlightenment, truly. I mean, it was a, a very impactful story. So I missed this opportunity, but, it, but I believe that it was meant to be because this experience changed my whole life. Okay. I then met a month or two later, got this pilot. I came back to Los Angeles. I moved back to New York. Then I came back to LA to shoot the series. It was a horrific experience, deeply traumatizing this. So then I go, okay, well, that was an opportunity perhaps that I missed. And yet- Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. What was the- So had, had the I, okay. So I had this opportunity to shoot this series. I had, that that was the circumstantial opportunity that I was presented, like in the real topside world, there, I, a series. I was, I started in a series. Okay. So, but I, but potential, and the series was very traumatizing to me. Perhaps had I been in a different frame of mind going into that series- I would have had, I mean, not even perhaps, had I, I been in a different frame of mind, I might have had, a, I would have had a completely different experience. And it would have been like the, wait, 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 but wait, yeah. the last point is, in terms of it's meant to be, or it all happens for a reason, I actually don't think of those ideas as like operating principles. I think of them as ways to process what has happened in a way that presents further opportunity and is expansive rather than constrictive and sort of like self-punishing. So instead of saying like, oh, fuck, had I only been like that, I say it happened for a reason. That reason is that I learned this and now I can take- But it sounds to me like you're telling yourself that because you are punishing yourself for the other thing. 
and that the solution to that punishment is to say it is not for me it is it is what it was supposed to be and to your earlier point about had you been in a different frame of mind had you understood x y or z that's not possible because you weren't that's right okay so i love that there listen. is no you're you're operating you seem to be operating in a sliding doors world <laughs> right and what I think, and which is fine, you know, and again, this is just how we're all built. You know, this is, again, I'm not saying the way you're thinking is wrong or anything like that. For me, the minute I say no to something or the minute something doesn't happen, they say no to me, I say no to them, whatever. That road doesn't continue forward in another, in the multiverse. There isn't a version of me that took that job. The, okay, let's, let's, let's take your example, actually. So the woman that did take that role, then went to Broadway, then had a huge career, right? Uh -huh. That doesn't mean that if you had taken that role, sure. the same thing would have happened to you. Of course, of course. That's, you were not, you, you didn't miss out on her career. Right. You're actually only having your career. Right. Which is why, by the way, I take everything that you just said. And to me, the lesson of the story is it's all meant to be. So interesting. I know. So, but here's the thing. Look, here's the thing. The, the really good news is that I actually don't care. I, I think we maybe we are all going to die in the dirt and that there is absolutely no God. And I, I think like, I don't, I don't have any particular attachment to any version of truth. Well, I just that's know. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, even, even removing, um, you know, uh, re religion or any any kind of spiritual movement or, or definitions, or even removing all of that, I'm just curious to hear, because I do think, I do think this is an interesting conversation because I think this profession in many ways can make people feel as though they are at the whim of other people. You know, mm -hmm. that, that as actors or performers or whatever, it we are waiting to be given our careers. We are uh -huh. waiting to be given uh, access to auditions, access to roles, access to good roles, better deals, better access, better shows, you know, whatever it is, everything is, every level of this career is inundated with gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And those gatekeepers, whether it is when I'm agentless in New York and I, 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 all I want all I can imagine is to audition for commercials. Please, <laughs> please let me audition for like New York lotto commercials. All I want, you know, actually before that, before that even, can I get on a UCB Herald team? I'm just, mm. I just moved here. I want to do this. Can I get on a team that gets to weekly perform on that stage? Mm. And if I, and then when you get that, like I'm consumed by the uh, documentary um, um, Touching the Void, which have you seen this, this movie? Touching no, the Void? but I love this. Uh, but yeah, I want to know. I'm not con I'm consumed is, is a hyperbolic way of saying it. But I, I oftentimes when people ask me about careers in this field or when I talk about uh, uh, a career in this field, uh, I will reference this documentary because I think it's significant and, and is a good model. It's about very quickly. It's about, it's a documentary. It's about two men who are going to um, scale a previously unscaled mountain, right? Mm -hmm. um, By the uh, way, this is a perfect metaphor for your improv show. Correct. Two people about yep. to scale a metaphorical unknown yes. mountain. 
So Unsealed. they start doing it. It's the 19, I think it's the either the, I think it's the 80s. I think it's the mid 80s that they're doing this. So they have no phones, they have no Matt. satellite, they have nothing. They, they, yeah. they, they are alone on this mountain and it's ice. It's like snow and ice. It's that uh, kind of climbing. It's not uh, like free solo kind of climbing. It's <laughs> like ice axes, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So they're a couple of days in and, you know, Wait, they sleep. this is a documentary. This is it's a, a documentary. Oh my yeah. God. And so they are a couple of days in, they get snowed in so they can't climb for a couple of days. So now they're delayed. They start to run out of food. And at a certain point, one of the men falls and breaks his leg Ugh. on the mountain. Ugh. So now they're in this position where one of them is grievously injured and they have to find a way to get down the mountain safely. Again, they can't contact anybody. Basically, nobody knows they're there. Yeah. Um, and so they rig a system where the healthy man lowers the broken-legged man down. I think they have 300 meters, I think, of rope, mm -hmm. uh, 600 feet of rope, I think, between them. Mm -hmm. So he lowers the man down, the broken-legged man down. The broken-legged man anchors himself to the mountain, the face of this mountain. You know, they're mm -hmm. on the, a sheer face. Mm -hmm. Anchors himself to the mountain, and then he ropes the guy as the healthy man climbs down, and then they do that. In whiteout conditions, hmm. the healthy man, without knowing it, lowers the broken-legged man over the edge of the mountain. So the healthy, the broken-legged man is now dangling in free space. Oh my God, dude! But they can't see each other and they can't talk to each other. I they don't know what's going on. Already, just the story. Okay, they don't know what's happened. going on. So the healthy man, after hours of of just sitting there with constant pressure on the rope has no other option but to cut the rope. Oh no, oh my fucking God. Jason, why are you telling me this story? You're gonna so, make me cry. I can't, I so can't take it. One of the things that's happening in Wait, the movie- what's that fucking end? The broken leg guy dies and then what yeah, happens to the healthy- yeah, You gotta be patient, I'm telling you. This oh, story. God. oh God, oh okay. God. So one of the things you know because you're watching a documentary is both of the men are being profiled. So they both are alive and you know that. Oh my God. But what the rest of the movie is about is each of their individual journeys to safety. And the broken legged man, not only does he fall like down a mountain, so like through the air, with, he already has a broken leg, he falls into, when he hits the ground, he falls into a crevasse, which oh. is a vertical cave. So now he's in a crevasse, he's stuck in a crevasse. He has a broken leg. He doesn't know where he is on the mountain, right? He's lost. And he thinks to himself, he has this great moment of realization where he says, if I stay here and wait to be found, I will die. I have to move. In order to survive, I have to move. And I can't climb out of this cave. So I have to climb down into darkness. So he yeah. climbs down until he finds the floor and then he starts going across the floor until he sees light and he climbs up. And he's now, oops, hold on. I lost my headphones. He's now on the mountain, lost, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what to do. And he, he does this thing where he says, I wanted to give up because how, I don't know how to get to base camp. I don't know where I can't orient myself. And so he makes a deal with himself. He sets his watch every hour. He sets a goal. I'm going to get myself to that rock in the next hour. 
and and he he drags himself along the ground and then he's like if i reach the rock i'm elated and i'm convinced i'm gonna live but if i can't reach the rock i'm convinced i'm gonna die mm. but he knows every step of the way he has to keep making attainable goals and meeting them and that's how he literally finds his way down the entire mountain and survives is setting attainable goals rock to rock to rock to rock and that's how he gets down the mountain and so when people talk to me about this career i am often like don't focus on uh, you know when people would come to new york and start ucb don't focus on i need to be on snl in two years you know like just focus on what you can control and what you can do get good at improv and get on a team Get, write a show, perform a show that you've written, like do the things that are the next logical step, mm -hmm. because that's how you're going to get to success. Well, and that's, you know, that's not only obviously in this career, that's also like I was reading, you know, I mean, Vic, Victor Frankl, survivor sure. of the Holocaust, like that's how he made it through is like setting these small yeah. sort of doable uh, missions, whether that was helping a friend through a loss or, you know, totally. getting that one piece of tiny bread to that one person who was starving or like whatever yep. it was, like finding the meaning in every small action, setting small attainable goals. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing that is, that's the thing that's so paramount in a, in a career that can feel so kind of um, needlessly punishing, mm -hmm. you know, or, or full or, or need full of so much negative, so much the cumulatively sure. so much rejection, so much, all of that. It's so easy to dismiss it all when you are on a path that is like, I'm just trying to get there. I'm okay yeah. if a bunch of people are like, you don't get to be in our commercial. You don't get to be on our show. You're okay, that's fine. Cause I'm still getting up on stage. I'm still doing my shows. I still, I know, I know I'm on the right path, you right. know, um, right. because it's the path I'm choosing and it's the work that I came here to do. You know, like treating this like a job, less like art. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then hopefully maybe treating life like that job <laughs> like can oh, yeah. we just accomplish these small very compassionate attainable goals we have for ourselves um unquestionably like, like and, and by, you know, and by, and by move, the way just that's to, how you move forward that's yeah. how that's how those things just become that's how you integrate the story of your pilot experience that yeah. is 10 plus years ago but is still as i'm talking to you like, so you are so able to access the emotions and events of that time just in telling me even the broadest strokes of it. Yeah. You know? But it is, like it or not, it is just part of the uh, fabric of who you are now Absolutely. as a person, as an actor, as, all of it. Like, yeah, and I i mean, to clarify, like I really don't, I, I don't have ill will toward my small self for not being able to oh, no. successfully navigate the first season of that show. Like I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I, I have deep compassion for how, um, just how scared she was, um, how scared I was. And, and yet I, and, and, and also like, had it not been for that difficult two years, I wouldn't have had, you know, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, um, to rub up against like some of my deepest, darkest shit in, in this way. 
Yeah. Yes. Or, or, or to grow into the person you are now. Yeah. You know, but see, like I that. say that. And what I'm hearing, like what I like to summarize that I would say, see, it's meant to be like, it happens for a reason, but you would hear and that. And I would like, say that's too religious. <laughs> no, I'm just no, kidding. I would <laughs> say, I would say it's maybe we're saying to maybe it's just phraseology, which is, which I'm yeah. happy to uh, uh, chalk it up as, but when I hear you say it's meant to be, if you were to say that to me, if you were to say like, see, Jason, like, you know, I had, I had a devastating um, professional um, loss mm. uh, uh, that was, that really at the time, I, I had a couple that felt very significant. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of them uh, subsequent to that was, um, so, so I'd written a show uh, this is at a period where I had stopped trying to be an actor because I just wasn't getting any jobs, but I was successful as a writer. Mm -hmm. So I very much was like, oh, the industry is telling me over and over again, we're not even interested in you as like the fifth banana on a sitcom, but we would love to let you write a sitcom for someone else. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. like the, I had a year where I was, I was producing my own pilot for NBC that I was not in. Uh -huh. God. And I was that would never happen right now. That would no. never happen. And I was simultaneously auditioning for shows on other networks that yeah. were as like the, like I said, like a fifth banana. And yeah. I, I had to be like, what am I doing? This is dumb. This is a, this is not like I'm clearly more valued here. So I stopped acting and I just put everything in writing. Anyway, this show goes through all these ups and downs, machinations back and forth with networks. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't go. And it's a real bummer. Mm. you know, a couple of years late and I was devastated, mm -hmm. but like the, maybe the, a year, two years later, a year and a half later, um, I do, I book the league and maybe a year later, the league and enlightened, right. Mm -hmm. As an actor, uh, just like guest, guest roles, two roles that really were transformational in me having an acting career. Mm -hmm. And if my NBC show had gone, I would never, have exactly. gotten those acting roles. And theoretically, I might be a successful writer showrunner right now and less so a successful actor, right? Uh, yeah. You might say to me, see, Jason, it was meant to be. It was meant to be that the NBC show would fail and that the other, so that, so that the other thing could happen. Mm -hmm. And I would not, I would say, oh no, I don't like that because I think you're taking away the thing I did from me having done it. Mm. you're saying it was it was it was written for you you just didn't know at the time that good stuff was coming and i'm saying that's not the case i both lived through the failure and i made a success i did all that but can't you know? it all be true can it all be true you both lived through the failure and you had the success and, and have it be predestined well, not necessarily pre, I mean, I guess the thing is, is like, and by the way, we're not here to talk about this, but you know, <laughs> it, it's fun, I guess for a second, but like, I, I guess the thing is that, um, and I'm not trying to like put something, a belief system on you. I'm just, I'm just focusing on the phrase meant to be. Can't it both be, uh, can't we say that it, can't we, 
I guess the point is, is that I, I believe that phrase it's meant to be, or it happens for a reason. I believe, I think of those phrases more as exercises in living than I do as like, um, sort of pat easy explanations for like God or whatever and how like right. God makes things work. Like, I don't believe that Eve. I don't believe in that. I sure. believe that we, we all have a tremendous amount of self-will and I mean, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Will yeah, free will, will free will. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Free yeah, will. Yeah, exactly. We all have a tremendous amount of free will and, and that we, um, you know, we make choices moment to moment, um, that determine like, whether or not we um, stand in uh, in the world in a way that's very expansive or in a way that's very, you know, unexpansive. Restrictive. Kind of restri yeah. Restrictive or, or contracting. And so like, you know, that's, I believe that. And then those phrases I think of as like a way to, it, it's like a way of saying like, I see the world in this way. So to 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 state out loud that like, what has happened to me is something that I have not only accepted, but also have learned from and used for my like highest evolution in this lifetime. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to say anything else about that? Because then I have other questions for you. No, no, we we, we can totally move on. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, okay, listen, but like, by the way, I do, I do just want to say also that I, I really, I have no supreme attachment to any viewpoint in the world. Like I, I don't know everything. I mean, I don't know anything and, but I, I, but I, I like, I love talking about all of the options. It's like totally fun and, and a nice fun exercise in being a human to like sure. <laughs> go oh, through yeah. all these options of belief. Sure. And, and, you know, not for nothing, like exploring all of these ideas or trying on different modalities of life and all of this kind of stuff and how you choose to exist as a human being and how you try and understand how other human beings exist is also helpful in portraying people who think and feel differently than you think and feel. Yep. A thousand you percent. Know? Yep. A thousand percent. And by the way, I'll just uh, point out that behind you is a, is a pit is a picture, a poster that it looks like it's sort of like an anatomical poster of it is. human beings it is and how humans system. work, the nervous system. I love it. <laughs> um, so this is something that you're into. Okay. So speaking of nervous system, this is what we're here to talk about. So you say to Michaela, you yep. say to Michaela, she is doing your show. You guys are backstage before the show. And you said something like this. <laughs> and I'm going to like fucking butcher it, but you can go back and listen to Michaela's episode to hear her talk, say what Jason said. Maybe you can correct me. But you said something like, listen, you're going to be out on the stage and you're going to be like, you're going to be like, holy shit, this show has gone so fucking well. We're like killing it. We're getting so many laughs. Like this material is bananas. Like it's, it's all flowing so incredibly well. And it's, it's like the, the, it's just, it's just, we're, we're going gangbusters. And then you're going to look up and you're going to see that only 15 minutes of this hour have gone by and you're going to freak the fuck out. And at that point, what you have to do is dig deeper. Yeah, this is, that's a, yeah, you're basically saying a version of what I say to everybody. Which is who what? comes and does this show. Because, because it's a format that I will say very few people 
have encountered, you know, like even very, you know, seasoned improvisers don't traditionally do hour long mono scenes. It's, it's, it's very rare. So, and especially when I'm doing it with people, you know, like Michaela or people who don't improvise much or haven't maybe improvised in a long time, or I've done it with people who aren't improvisers, you know, um, I give everybody a, a version of the speech you just gave, which is, we're gonna go out there, we're gonna start doing a scene and it's gonna feel like a totally normal improv show. We're crushing, it's fun, we're, we're, we're playing and it's gonna be a great scene. And right about the time where we've reached the apex of this scene and we've built these laughs and the audience is along with it and everything's going great, we're gonna come a point where you're gonna feel like, oh, okay, this scene's over. Like the show must be over or you're gonna feel like a natural edit point and when you realize you, you can't edit, that nobody is gonna stop the scene or whatever, that that we're, we have to keep, you're going to freak out because you're mm -hmm. like, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. We're we're at the we're at the threshold for the game we've built for the scene we've built. We've we've reached its borders, mm -hmm. and so you start to panic. And people, you see it in people's eyes. People will kind of drift to hug the back wall. Yeah, like without knowing it physicalize their discomfort because they start to be like, whoa, this is weird. I don't normally experience this feeling, which is normally at the point when a scene builds to a conclusion, someone else from the back line sweeps across and edits that scene. Because that's not gonna happen, you're gonna freak out. And my advice is to go deeper, is to really figure out who are you in this scene? Who are we to each other? What is what is actually going on, right? Not 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 more jokes and bits. What is actually going on? And the other thing I say to people is, don't be afraid of silence. You know, don't be afraid that just because we're performing a comedy show means the audience needs to be laughing every second of the next hour plus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, if an audience is engaged in what we're doing, if they've bought into our scene, which they will, if they've bought in, they'll watch us silently seethe and be angry at each other. Mm -hmm. Darcy Carden and I did uh, uh, that, uh, Darcy Carden has, who's Janet on The Good Place, mm -hmm. um, is a fantastic uh, actor and a fantastic improviser who came up in the UCB scene. She's younger than me by a bunch of years. So she's I like the her. generation, yeah. she's the generation uh, below me. She's done my show a bunch. And we did a scene in which the scene took place in the, in the, um, uh, the waiting room, the waiting area, like the outer office of mm -hmm. our marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it is unhappily married couple waiting to go into therapy, not continuing to engage in fraught, tentative conversation, and then always being like, wait until we get inside, wait until we get inside. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's like all of these kind of near breakdowns. And then finally, about 20 minutes into the hour, Darcy said, I want a divorce. And I just started crying oh wow and the audience was genuinely like bummed yeah i think you know what i mean like they were not it was not funny i was devastated yeah and then proceeded to beg her to not do this yeah beg her like just heartfelt and 
I don't know, for five minutes of this comedy show, people just watched me sobbing and begging her to, and her just being every, the more emotional I got, the more certain she was that she wanted the divorce. Mm. It was perfect. And after this really uncomfortable period of time, when we did bring it back around to something that was funny, the catharsis for the audience was so powerful that the Mm. laugh was enormous Mm. because they had had this period of rest, this period of dissonance, this discomfort that they've been sitting in. They've, They've watched us be uncomfortable to each other and mean and petty and all of these things that were not fun and funny like they we were before so that when we went back to it there was like a real like whoa you know and that that kind of that roller coaster for the rest of the show was what was the show the show was this push and pull between these two people who are clearly crumbling underneath each other um but trying to clutch and claw our way out of it Mm. Mm. So, okay. So what I'm interested in is this moment where you transition from like the, um, the, the game that you've built, right. Which again, Uh I mean, really what I'm like, much like you already have in this touching the void documentary, you know, we can liken this, like being on stage, you know, in this improv show to touching the void and even like, you know, maybe we could call like the moment where you're freaking the fuck out because you don't know you've reached the limits of what the game can allow sure. in this interaction. Maybe that's like sort of when you're falling into the crevasse um, or when the guy falls into the crevasse. Um, like when you really have to s- distill it to the most essential question, which is what is actually going on? Um so can you talk about like those moments? Like, okay. The way I want to talk about it is like this. I want to talk about on stage what that experience is when you actually go into what, when you, when you have to force yourself to address what is actually going on and then how that might um, compare to moments in life when you have to say, Oh, the game is running out. What is actually going on? So here's what I'll say. I think that for me, I'm trying to think if this is going to be true or not, but uh, I think that for me, what is what is the most significant question? Because it's not it, when I'm on stage, it's not about running out of anything, right? I'm not I'm not worried. I'm telling people this because I want them to be aware when it happens to them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen to me because I've been doing this show. I, I'm the show is the show. The minute but, I hit but why, stage. Can I just ask you, why are you so confident that you're not going to run out of anything? Everything. Anything. Oh. Uh, okay, so here's here's how I'll answer. I'll answer with what I, I was about to say just now. Great. Uh, the question for me, whether you and I are in a scene or whether I'm in a scene with four other people or whatever, the only question for me is, what do I want? And how am I going to go about getting it? Mm-hmm. Right? That's it. That's the only question. What do I want? How am I going to go about getting it? So I can do that for hours. I can do that for hours. Mm. I, can, I can illustrate wants and actions in pursuit of those wants for hours. And I can make it interesting with, with other people, you know, with other people to help me. Because I'm also counting on the fact 
and hoping for the fact that uh, Michaela is not going to want what I want, you know, or she will want a version of what I want or whatever. And that um, dissonance, that disconnect mm -hmm. is going to be the friction or the 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 catalyst to a scene that yeah. that is what we are now doing that's what we're performing okay right? but sorry so but just like to take it to life for one second okay just like if you can in this very moment right now what is it that you want and how are you going about getting it like right now in this podcast with me right now i'm just curious how you could distill that because i think that these questions are valuable that's why i'm asking that for people in their lives Wait, but in regards to the podcast? No, yeah, no, or just like in this very moment. I mean, maybe what you want is like M and M's, so you're talking faster, so you get to, can get to your kitchen to get your M and M's. You know, like, but you know, in this oh. very moment, I guess I'm like, how would you answer that in life? And is there? I mean, by the way, maybe that's not useful to you. To me, that's a very useful question because it's instantly presenting and it in instantly is self awareing. You know, like yeah, I I mean. Let me think. And it's also very non-judgmental. You know, we all want something in this moment and we're all going about getting that thing in in this oh, moment in a certain way. Sure. Well, I mean like listen, I think we are I think we are beings made up of wants. You know what I mean? Like that are that are from the trivial, like my body is telling me I need water. I should I want water because I'm dehydrated because I've been drinking coffee instead of hydrating today, right? So there is the biological want, right? I also want desperately this virus to go away mm -hmm. because I want to have uh I want to have the uh, I want to be able to safely be with the people I love. Okay, but like, what about like, sorry to push you on this because also it's like, just kind of uncomfortable, but I'm just going to do it for myself, okay? Okay. Right now, like in this moment, like I, like I want to create space for you to be like, um, to, for you to feel fully expressed. I want you to like this experience of being on the podcast and the way that I'm going about getting that is by in, in my best way, like opening opportunities for you to talk about things that I think are useful and important as far okay. as I can tell. Okay. So like, that's like, I guess that's how I would describe that. I see. Okay. So, 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 and then in that sense, all I really want right now is to have a good conversation. Okay. I don't know what the rules of your podcast are. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I read the I read the pay, the attachment you sent me of like your, your questions and so forth. And I got a sense of the arc of what your podcast is. But in my opinion, if I'm if I'm thinking in my head, well, remember, you know, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. She's got questions that are from the beginning. There's got questions that are from the end. If I start thinking to myself, oh, careful, Jason, that's more of a third act answer to a second act. If I start overthinking it because I'm trying to be attentive to your prescribed formatting, what's the point of it, right? My yeah. whole thing is I treat this engaging conversation just as much as an improv scene as anything else. All we're doing right now is acting and reacting, listening and reacting. I, all I want is to be uh, 
understood by you and seek to understand you, you know, because that's how we're going to build theoretically. And hopefully if, if people are listening to this, an interesting, that's going to make for an interesting listening experience that, that we are constantly seeking to um, be on the same page with what we're talking about, not what we believe necessarily, but what we're talking about, that we are sharing opinions, that we are having an active and engaged conversation. I want for that to be, I want to look up at the clock and for the hour to have gone by and it's been more than an hour now and to be oh, like, shit. oh yeah, of course, because we've just been in a flow state, you know, like a, like, like a sports, like when, when athletes talk about being in a flow state, when you're in that, when, when I get on stage and do a show, an hour disappears. Yeah, when I'm sitting here having a good conversation with you. This time evaporates. It's not mm -hmm. a struggle because I'm enjoying both un trying to understand where you're coming from and trying to explain to you where I'm coming from. That to me is what I want. My you only know, want is connection. Uh, yeah. So 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 the, the the reason that I like had us do that brief exercise is just that I think like in life <clears throat> when we're navigating the unknown. Um, as you so beautifully illustrated with the story about the, you know, the documentary and like the getting from one rock just to the next, like um, being able to present ourselves in that way, in, in the aware, the simple awareness of what do I want right now? And how, how do I go about getting that? Even if it's not, by the way, ideally, it's not such an intellectual exercise, although that's an option to, 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 to word it in that way. But even just like the exercise of being able to slow down and check in with ourselves is really, really useful in navigating the unknown, um, which you're doing on stage, which those dudes were doing in the rocks, which we're doing right now as we're having this conversation. And, and one of the beautiful things that happened, and I wanna hear exactly what you're gonna say, but I just wanna bring this up because this was an unanticipated consequence of this mini exercise that I just asked us both to do, is for me, like, I feel like connected to you. Like I feel vulnerable. I feel like connected to you, like in my heart a little bit, much more like energetically, there's more feeling here than I would have anticipated that like very brief, silly exercise that we just did would, would do. I mean, like, I feel more, like, I feel a little giddy, like, like, oh, like, like we connected in this weird little vulnerable way. Do you feel like that? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yes. But I mean, like I'm pursuing that. Sure. Yeah. Well, by the way, I am too, although I wouldn't have been so aware of it until like I made it spike a little in that moment. Like I. Well, and so what I was going to say earlier, what I drew a breath was, I think the distance between my want, my understanding of my want and my exercising that want mm -hmm. 20 years ago very long distance between those poles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, to have a want, to be able to execute it on stage in a scene, to be able to heighten it, to be able to uh, communicate it effectively to a scene partner, all of those things felt very far apart. Mm -hmm. To me now, 23, four years later, they are synchronous. Mm -hmm. they, are, they all happen at the same time. So only now am I able to see in my mind what I think, I feel I can see 
a larger piece of the field. I don't feel like everything is right in front of my face. I feel like when I'm on stage, when I'm whatever, I can see the forest and the trees. Does that mm. make, is that right? Yes, it's stunning. It's fucking stunning. And it um, reminds me a but, little- but, it, but I want to say, but it took, that's not something that just happened. You know, and that's not, that's not, that's not a thing you can just turn on. Right. You know, it's something that took me years of, have it took me years of just doing shows doing shows. whenever people whenever young improvisers are like at the end of my one hour mono scene show we take answers we take questions from the audience mm. mostly they're bits and it's more comedy and fun but sometimes there's improvisers in the audience who ask improv nerd questions and almost always the answer to whatever improv question somebody asks is the answer is just do it as much as you possibly can because you will only get better at it, not through intellectually understanding it, but through the doing of it because you have to know it, you have to know it through performance, mm -hmm. not through understanding. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like- um, It's experiential. Yeah, it's not, it's not a no, it's not an intellect, being a good improviser isn't an intellectually knowable thing. Mm -hmm. You can, you can intellectually know it. I think a good part of why I'm a good improviser is intellectual, mm -hmm. but a huge part of it is just not knowing it, being confident and comfortable inside of it. That's right. You know. By the way, same with life. I mean, look, like, you, you know, you know like, you're just sitting in there. A great therapist will stop you from being the incredibly sharp intellectual that you are. A great therapist will say, yes, yes, you understand intellectually, but now we need to feel. We need yeah. to feel. We have, to, we have to feel through these shifts. We can't just intellectually, if we stay in the world of the intellect, if we stay in the world of just simply understanding, um, we're going to miss, we're going to miss the growth. We're, yeah. We're missing emotional growth. Exactly. Because, because it's, it's, it's a safer space to, to process life through in, intellect is a safer space because you're not as exposed. Yes. To really expose yourself, to really make yourself vulnerable is to allow yourself to be hurt. Mm -hmm. And you know, those, those emotions you don't you don't see insecurity, pain, grief, loss. These are not emotional states you usually see inside of improv comedy shows. Mm -hmm. But they are categorically part of life. Right. You know, and so why shouldn't they be part of comedy shows? Beautiful. You know. Okay. So then this is my, so my last question because we were stopping. And my last my last question for you. you can, we can we can keep going. Keep going. You know. We can go. Okay. Well, so who knows how this is? Well, this is my last question. I can't hold on. I'm just looking I, at my thing right now. By the way, now. maybe yeah, you can okay. look at your phone. The last maybe it's possible that I'll come up with another question. But for the in this moment, this is my last question. And frankly, my most pressing question. Um. And and look, it, this question um, you're gonna you will have no choice but to answer this question from the the from the perspective of I'll say it again, okay? But you're let's say a master, okay? Um, um, or from someone very experienced, you're gonna have no question. Yeah, that I mean, like really, it's just like it, it's at this point, it's just years spent. Yes. Doing Totally. You know I mean? that's, just, that's really all it is. Yeah, that just say master shorthand for having done it for years. But but what I but but my question and what I'm hoping you can maybe do is put yourself in a bit of a beginner's mind, okay. which frankly is part of your job as a, as someone who's so experienced anyway, um, and something you probably automatically do. But the question is, 
whether you're walking into an hour long improv show that you don't know what the fuck is going to happen next in, or you're walking into your daily life where you don't know what the fuck is going to happen next. How do you prepare yourself to, to reap the fullest benefit from that next hour of existence by, by, um, how do you, how do you, encourage yourself to come from a place of heart rather than head oh um i don't know that i hmm. okay so maybe that's a shitty question maybe it's i asked it's a it shitty wrong. question it's not that it's a shitty question here's what i'll say here's what i will say um so i think that a lot of times a miss a common mistake that that beginner improvisers make is they try and write the scene while it's happening, mm -hmm. right? Rather than focus, they they don't what they, uh, early on in improv, you are, you know, uh, you are only as good as your ability to overcome a, a series of real problems mm -hmm. that are you are given at the beginning of an improv show can, right? can, can we also like let me just make this crazy leap but can you also can as you're talking about this i don't know yes or no but in my imagination you can actually supplant the words like life like a beginning liver in the beginning may just be confronted with a series of problems that they need to overcome and when you when you're a more advanced the liver how can are you different Okay. But what okay. I will say is I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes. On a kind of macro broad stroke in a macro broad strokes way. Yes. I agree okay. with you. Okay. But in microcosm, I think the stakes are very different. To Higher in life than on stage. Yes. To walk off stage having had a bad show is a lot different than walking out of someone's house after a bad breakup, you know? Um, Nonetheless, I would hope to approach both with sure. openness, okay. uh, a willingness to listen, a willingness to understand, a willingness to be present. All of the things that if you exhibit on stage will lead to a better show, might lead to also a better relationship. Uh, uh, if we're being, you know, if we're trying to draw a one-to-one. -one. We are. But, but the thing yeah. for a lot of young improvisers that is a problem is they are nervous they're nervous that they don't know what they're going to do they don't know who they're going to do their scenes with they don't know if the audience is going to laugh and they know it's their job to make them laugh they're not sure when the show's going to be over they're not sure what they're not sure uh, you know there's no props there's no wardrobe there's like there are so many things they don't have to help them do the show that that they start deciding I'm gonna just do, I'm just gonna, this is what it is. This is what it is. And they try and steamroll and they tell you and everybody else, no, no, this is what we're doing. And this is this, and this is that, and blah, blah, blah. But they try and define everything. Can they, and, people try to control the unknown. Yeah. And by over controlling it, they're trying to allay their fears. But, but what they're not, but what they're doing is they're trying to write a scene that nobody's enjoying, right? Okay. Like <laughs> the reality is, Throw everything you're doing away. This scene that's about to happen, just like this conversation we just had, it's only what we did talk about, right? You had a list of stuff. You had a this. You have an order. We didn't do it. We no. started in a way that was atypical for your show. We're doing this. We're well, doing I never do, by the way. I never end up doing the shit that I would. Right. 
but but that's that that's the beauty of it like exactly. the whole thing is predicated on it's not about did i do it right did we do it right there is no right there is just if you're going to get on stage the most important thing is don't worry about the audience only care about that person you're in a scene with connecting listening acting reacting yes and you know agreement support building off of what other people have given you using everything playing to the top of your intelligence all of the kind of improv-y catchphrase-y you know roll your eyes as much as you want at yes and but you know not you specifically but you know as a as a thing in the world it's very easy and i understand why to roll your eyes at yes and but it is genuinely synonymous with success in a scene and in life thousand you know? percent um yeah. and and as a result and i'm not saying you got to be out there being like yes and you can say no in shows mm -hmm. and be saying yes that's like right. no is part of a you don't have to be like yes and literally yes but like the sentiment behind it is agree with what the reality your scene partner is saying that's right well we'll agree with react like accept what's happening yes. you have to first accept what's happening even if you're going to say no to it yes. that's the yes the yes yeah. is the acceptance yeah so if darcy carden says i want a divorce i can i don't have to say yes and i do too to make the scene work right i am agree i am yes anding by saying please don't do this that's right. Please don't do this. That's right. We're in, the, in life, if Darcy Carden says, I want a divorce, and you walk to the refrigerator, just grab a drink and leave the room, that's a no. Yeah. But in life, if she says, I want a divorce, and you say, I hear you, I don't want a divorce, I'm really fucking sad, that's a much better way of living your life. You're going to sure. instantly feel more connected to your partner, even though you may be in conflict, you can be connected in that conflict, rather than just denying it. And I think so. I mean, I think that that is... The bedrock of good improv is is really the bedrock of any good relationship. Is uh, it is predicated entirely on open, transparent communication, mm -hmm. listening, mm -hmm. and agreement. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I don't, and that means I don't have to agree with what you're saying, but I have to agree with the truth of it for what from for where you are in the scene. Mm -hmm. Right? The same way that if we were in a relationship and we were having an argument, you might say, I felt X, Y, and Z. And I have to be able to be like, that of course is what's happening for you. It's just not for me. Right, right. My experience was this other thing. And we yeah. have to figure out how the two of us come together and find compromise, find growth, find a way to, for that, so that both of us are participants in a relationship, right? Yep. Uh, or, or whatever, you know, yeah. a, a work relationship, uh, uh, dynamics on a set. Well, and that's where codependency goes so fucking wrong. You know what I mean? That's why, you know, if, if, if your partner loves Italian and every time your partner wants to order Italian, you're, you're ordering Italian because you want the good partnership instead of really ordering yeah. Chinese, which is what you really fucking want. Not only is that going to be a boring scene on stage, it's also going to be, or maybe eventually it would be funny, but, it, you know, well, it'll well, that's, well, that's what that is, is yes no and right that's so right that's so that's you're doing like that, that what you just described is beautiful. actually a scene a that's scene beautiful. that happens in sh that you watch all the time where yeah. the people on stage they know enough that they should say yes 
Right. But what they're forgetting to do is is give a piece of themselves to it. They're yeah. forgetting to give their point of view. That's right. Their That's right. their piece of the scene. And so what then happens is you have a lopsided scene. Mm -hmm. You have somebody who's doing a lot of defining mm -hmm. and somebody who's along for the ride. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know because they are they're trying to do it right. They're trying to agree. They're trying to yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. You know, and they're, they're, you know, usually like, but, but what they're not recognizing is the and is absolutely integral. Like right. my part of it, when, when, if you start a scene and you say something and you define that, you know, you're my mom and you're trying to give me the birds and the bees talk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If I just am like, okay, like, I'm like, I'm agreeing to be there, but you're right. going to talk the whole scene. And I'm just going to be like, Oh, that sounds weird. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I'm not giving it. But if I start saying things like, well, I heard that when you, you know, if I say, right. and then now I'm giving you problems for your explanation right? You know, or right. salute or whatever. Now I'm participating in a way that both of us get to share and define and go back and forth on what is, how is it that these two people are going to have the birds and the bees talk? Right. You can't have an and without the yes, but just the yes without the and is like, mm, it's halfway. It's, it's only going to get you so far. Yeah. It's a half measure. It's what you described about the person who is always agreeing to get Italian. Right. They don't want it, but they're letting it happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and by allowing it to happen, they're not they're not allowing themselves to be demonstrated or exercised inside of the relationship. Right. They're allowing the other person's narrative to overwhelm and become the narrative being performed uh, if yeah. the relationship was a show. Yeah. You know and I say? think like just to loop it back and then we're going to end. But like, you know, I think this what do you want and how, what do I want and how do I get it? Like that is that is what is narrative defining. And like when we can define our narratives, when we can and, and not only define, but also then accept and and frankly, like appreciate and nurture and have compassion for and love our narratives, what we want and 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 how do we how do I go about getting that? That's when we can truly give like bring ands into life. Yes, I agree. And part of it is that you don't get what you want yeah right like it's not pursue your wants until you get them uh -huh. that's not it you know yeah. like there is no there is no finish line uh -huh. right there is no i did it you know um if 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 i want a reaction i might not be getting it this way so i might i might have to try a different tact try a different mm -hmm. tact i might need to come at a problem through a different way or mm -hmm. find a different solution but i also might as we experience in life or, or whatever, I might, I might never get to where I want to be or what I thought I wanted to be when I started X, Y, and Z thing. But just the process of attempting to get it has actually illustrated to me this other path That's or this other right. thing or That's that right. and the ability to be nimble and the ability to be um, uh, malleable, I think on stage and off is incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly useful to be able to, in the moment, recognize abandon. I need to abandon my pursuit because mm -hmm. another door has opened that mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to be like, that want got me here, mm -hmm. but I don't need to continue to follow through and solve it. I don't need to, I don't need to button every 
No. And you transcend the want, right? You transcend at every stage. You can transcend the, the want becomes bigger. We expand as our consciousness grows the want that's like you know the einstein thing we're stopping we're stopping we got we gotta stop but the einstein thing of you know you can't solve a problem from the consciousness that created it because the problem is different the 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 the, okay. the, the problems evolve the wants evolve as our consciousness shifts we see the world differently different problems present different solutions present absolutely well we every time we enter into a problem solving scenario um by definition we don't have the solution and so in pursuit of that solution you often kick up a bunch of other problems or understand your first problem in a much more three-dimensional way that's right in doing so where you thought you might be going or what the solution you thought you might be pursuing becomes um redirected or sometimes even not interesting that's you know um that's 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 kind of i'll take it back to you know my the show or the michaela show that we're talking about Mm -hmm. those first 12 minutes oftentimes are a good improv scene Mm -hmm. right, right really funny but it looks like an improv scene the rest of the show looks like no other improv scene Mm. you know the first chunk because we're just doing what we know to be an improv scene obeys all the rules of improv. It's like, it's, it's as if you went to any other show at UCB and watched Mm -hmm. two people do a 12 minute scene, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd be like, okay, cool. I get what this is. But at the minute that it starts to go sideways, about 12, 15 minutes in, it becomes a different animal. And it becomes Mm -hmm. that way because we have to leave behind the trappings of improv uh the even even a show that has no rules is obeying invisible is is on invisible tracks you know what i mean let and us when, all hop invisible tracks as often as possible that's we, it yeah know. get off the tracks get, get off, off the, the tracks man fuck this was fun yeah how do we do we did so great thank you so much for doing this i really absolutely really, i really, hope really I, I hope i wasn't too um I don't know, pretentious about it. What? No fucking way. Little like I'm like asking you. Like I I desperately like I really I I believe, you know, I, you know, you wouldn't say this. I would say that that improvising and acting are really a spiritual experience and I but and you don't you don't say that. <laughs> That's fine. But I really believe I don't think you do, but I believe like I believe that the parallels between acting and improv in life are really like so incredible and if, if we if we can bring the what we know about this to life we're in really good stead i agree with the latter half of what you're saying completely i, I do yeah. i think like i think the the tools and the skills that are that that are um that yield great shows in implementing them in life would yield a better life categorically and though i might not say that they are spiritual in nature. Mm-hmm. What I would say, I think for me personally, is it is a way I feel about doing shows or or also when I'm like, you know, I'm oftentimes asked to or allowed to improvise on sets, you know, and it becomes a much more intimate scene mm-hmm. when everybody is now off the script 
Yeah. Right? Everybody has to now really listen and really well, from, but but by the way coming from like an expert improviser i mean i think there's a lot there, there you can you can attain you can have the same ideally when you're acting when you're on a script i mean the the most crafted actors can make the script feel like an improv oh yes absolutely but yeah. there is something that i find to be you know that maybe is what you would call a spiritual connection but i would just call like like um, an incredibly intimate connectivity between people. Yes. You know what I mean? And that is, as far as I'm concerned, really what I'm pursuing. Yes. You know, whether it's talking here on Zoom with you, whether it's on stage with Michaela, or yeah. whether it's on, you know, the set of The Good Place with Ted Danson and Darcy. Yeah. You know, like it's the same thing, but, but, but through, improvising and through being uh, engaged, you're creating a much more intimate connection with each other. Yes. For me, I will say. I, I find it harder to do that with prescripted lines. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I find that's a bit, that's a, that's a skill set I don't have as strong a, sen a, a command of, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? As strong a command of, to be able to take to be able to take lines that cannot be altered and truly find the same intimate emotional connectivity with my scene partners and make those lines feel mm. organically of the moment. Mm. You know, that is, I still struggle with that at times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a real, it's not easy. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Both acting and improv have things that are really difficult. Um, and, uh, and, and I mean, we're, yeah. Listen, we're heroes. We're heroes. We're fucking here. We're changing the world. Um, you know, yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, yeah, I hope that we can, like, we connect on stage, like we connect wherever, like that we can walk through our lives connecting in this way. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's the, you know, whenever, um, you know, it, 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 especially in New York, the the improv community when I was starting wasn't full of necessarily people who wanted to be comedians or actors or writers mm -hmm. or anything. There was just a lot of people who were like in the community who who got something out of yeah. the 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 tool bag that improv gave them. You know, yeah. whether they were lawyers or whether they were people in finance or yeah. you know people. It's a it is a skill set that's applicable to life and not just, you know, cause you know, it's not just about like being goofy and silly. It's about- No, it's about connecting. living in the unknown in front yeah. of other people, which is what yeah. we do every single day. We're in the unknown in front of other people, connecting yeah. with other people, making choices. Trying to move forward, Trying incrementally move forward. moving forward, step that's by step, it. rock by rock. Fucking life. Until we're down at the base camp, safe. <laughs> Um, thank you again so much. This was fantastic. Absolutely. So good. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster. Reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. We really, really get those messages and we really, really answer them. Links and recommendations for this week's episode can be found at ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes drop on Mondays. Most importantly, if you love this show, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. We love seeing those. It means a huge deal to the show. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Have a great day.
This podcast was produced by the incredible Augusta Chapman with help from our amazing coordinator, Hannah Barbakoff, and our very talented sound engineer, Baraka Jenga. The music, which I absolutely adore, is composed by Sean Hokinson. 